2: the gates and ready to go hot my with and with row is underway on this monday edition following a jam-packed football weekend bobby carpenter will be with us sirix sm channel 84 college football analyst former ohio state buckeye joins us in 20 minutes plus dr david chow pro football doc joins us later this hour as well as we hit all of the headlines from college and NFL, Chad. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. What a weekend it was! It was jam packed. Up uh, uh, Sixth and Peabody are located with IH Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us uh, across the Outkick Network. It includes YouTube, where you can join Chad in the chat right now. It was on fire last week. We expect no different.
0: The the um, uh, the chat never disappoints. But we've reached a different <laughs> standard that we've set after last week. So I agree. much interaction throughout the week. Like now, we've set the bar here. Once we put it on film. Much like these football coaches, once you see it on film, that's the new standard. That's what we want to see all the time. What I saw from the chat last week, that is what we're trying to reach each and every week on the show. So let's get after it today in the chat. I think we are it's going to over-deliver.
2: Also, uh, delivering again uh, this week will be anything involving Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, sign-stealing, and more. Because beyond just what has been out there last week through college football reporters or – what we've seen from investigations that have been announced by the NCAA. Now you have Ian Rappaport and Tom Pellicero from NFL Network reporting yesterday as things are about to kick off across the league, that Jim Harbaugh is not going to receive some safe harbor with the National Football League if he wants to return as a head coach there. If college and the NCAA and Big Ten and whoever else come over the top with some type of possible suspension... Giving the the sign stealing and the rule breaking that has taken place allegedly. But I mean, there's plenty going on with video that has surfaced and more uh, involving uh, Connor Stallions and whether or not Harbaugh knew. Nonetheless, it it is this simple. Harbaugh would possibly, the league source says Harbaugh would need to serve some or all of any possible suspension he could face in college. If he returns to the pros, this, Coincides with another report um, around the same timing from the Wall Street Journal that Michigan had pulled the new contract offer that they had slid across the table to Jim Harbaugh amid these NCAA investigations. Now, he has said that is absolutely not true and that from the Wall Street Journal, but Chad, uh, this goes beyond just, oh, this is his final year are they going to be able to to serve or or send out discipline to Michigan to Harbaugh to the program to what we've seen given the nature of the sign stealing and what they can or cannot prove this goes to suspending from the game itself if the NFL is also going to leak to NFL network employees and reporters that they're not just going to allow him to skate back to the league if things go awry, given the allegations of sign stealing and knowing what the league did with the Patriots not too long ago.
0: Well, and Jim Trestle is another issue that was cited that's a a direct correlation. Hilarious to think back now to all the trouble that Terrell Pryor and Jim Trestle got into with the tattoo stuff. Yeah. Considering that now we live in a world of NIL where no one would have cared one way or the other about any of this, but it was a huge (laughs) scandal At the time, I look at this and think five years from now, we still going to be saying this is a huge scandal. And I think the answer is yes, unless it can be proven that there are a bunch of other programs doing the same thing, which no one's stepping forward and saying that. And uh, even those that say, oh, sign stealing goes on, but I've never heard of something like this, where you go to this this level of buying tickets to 30-plus games and going and filming signals from either side with what Connor Stallion's is alleged to have done. 2011, the Indianapolis Colts hired Jim Trestle as a game day consultant. And they did not allow him to coach until week seven. He had a five-game suspension through the NCAA, but then he was gone at Ohio State. So they would not let him coach until week seven, but they didn't call it a suspension. Just mysteriously, the NFL said, you'll you'll start in week seven. So that could be the case here where it's sort of a unspoken about, yet agreed upon punishment if someone decides to hire Jim Harbaugh that he's either going to sit or get blackballed from the NFL? Is that, that's what we're talking about here. If this report from NFL, from viable NFL reporters, it's true, he's blackballed. That That's an agreement amongst the owners not to hire Jim Harbaugh because of whatever punishment he's going to face at Michigan. And it's looking more and more like He's definitely going to face some punishment, and so is the University of Michigan with all the mounting evidence against Jim Harbaugh in this program. So that is one thing to consider about his NFL future. Now, in the press conference today, when asked about the contract offer being rescinded, he was a little bit wishy-washy, and he said something like, I wouldn't call that accurate. But I also can't talk about contract uh, issues. That That's a university policy. We can't talk about current contract or possible future contracts. Until they're done. I hear that as that's not a direct refuting of the story from the Wall Street Journal. This is more semantics. You know, maybe they've paused. It's not rescinded. But they've stopped negotiations right now. And that's just him saying, I wouldn't call that completely accurate, the story. Not absolutely not. No, none of that. So... Do I believe the Wall Street Journal report? Yes. I think that whatever was on the table has been halted, given the latest news with Jim Harbaugh and this Michigan program. Look, Jim Harbaugh is 59 years old. If you are Michigan and you were looking out and saying, what is the worst-case scenario? I've said throughout, worst-case scenario is you can't employ Jim Harbaugh anymore. Either this runs him off to the NFL, where he takes a job, and or it's so damning for him in the program, you have to fire Jim Harbaugh and move forward. Why is that the worst case scenario? Well, because Michigan's beaten Ohio State two years in a row. And because right now they are in the driver's seat for a possible college football playoff spot for a second straight year. Program's rolling. Recruiting's going well. They look great on the field. You don't want to replace your head coach when that happens. But if you are forced to replace your head coach, I am going to give you the name right now. They should replace 59-year-old Jim Harbaugh with. It's 59-year-old Lance Leipold from Kansas. You want a guy with a squeaky clean image that has won everywhere, that can come right in and pick right up with a current roster and continue winning, and a guy that's probably looking around and saying, how do I get into the big two? Forget about Power Five. It's a big two right now. Big Ten, SEC. If you're not in one of those two conferences, you're looking over your shoulder or you're looking straight ahead at a better opportunity. Michigan is a way better opportunity than Kansas in football. And I just watched Lance Leipold beat a top ten opponent at Kansas for the first time in that school's history since 1984 when they beat Troy Aikman in Oklahoma that year before transferring to UCLA. Lance Leipold's an awesome coach. I think Michigan could do not much better than 59-year-old Lance Leipold if this continues to go down this path.
2: And I think Harbaugh knows it's going to continue to go down this path. Just beyond the the comments about the contract offer being pulled from the table and saying, you know, he doesn't necessarily agree with it, but wouldn't wouldn't just outright deny that it happened. But he also doubled down on the statement when asked, whether or not it's a head coach's responsibility to know everything that's happening within the program. And the brief answer that he gave today, I think that question probably answers itself. I was forthright with the statement right away, but you're asking, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. And the statement he's referring to is what was released, uh, what, 10, 11, 12 days ago now. Quote, I have no awareness of anyone on our staff having done that or having directed that action. I do not condone or tolerate anyone doing anything illegal or against NCAA rules. That's part of the, the paragraph statement. And then he starts by saying, I want to make it clear that I and my staff will fully cooperate with the investigation into this matter. I do not have any knowledge or information regarding the Michigan football program illegally stealing signals, nor have I directed any staff members or others to participate in an off-campus scouting assignment. How does he not know about this? And the, the difference between Harbaugh and Trestle would be the head coaching opportunity. And how far does the suspension go? Is it just games or is it behind the scenes where he can't participate in an off season until that suspension is served? So if it's seven games into an NFL season, is that where he picks up? Because I doubt that any team is going to go by those restrictions and hire him just to get him midway through the season. You would have him for one game right now if we're just using this season as an example of a, a possible seven-game suspension into the league, Chad? I,
0: I think that, first off, with the new NCAA bylaws and the way they're constructing punishment now, doesn't even matter if he doesn't know. It, it might matter for Jim Harbaugh's NFL future if he can viably prove that he knew nothing and play this dumb card the whole time. Maybe that helps him for a future job. But with what Michigan is going to have happen to them and what Jim Harbaugh could have happened to him, doesn't matter one bit. Now, the NCAA could say after a lengthy investigation, we found no evidence that Jim Harbaugh was contacted or directly knew about it, but he should have known. That's always going to be the butt at the end of this, but he should have known. They hired Connor Stallions. Other members of his staff all knew about it. He should have known, even if we can't prove directly that he knew. This is spiraling in the wrong direction right now for Michigan I think Jim Harbaugh's comments even starting to spiral in the wrong direction for a football team that's headed in the right direction because there's no sign of stoppage with Michigan football this year they have been a wrecking ball throughout through a, a week schedule so far that's going to pick up here soon enough but still it's a possible national championship team that could get derailed and the whole program get derailed because of all of this that's going on around the program.
2: And we hear the, the college football playoff selection show you know, next month, oh, a little over a month from now. But we have the rankings that will be unveiled tomorrow evening. We'll give our prediction on that coming up later in the show. But, Chad, uh, the other part of this is the committee for the college football playoff will not outright say it. They're not supposed to. But they'll penalize teams who lose great players throughout the season for injury. You know, they'll, they'll try to go back and retroactively figure out what would have happened, which they can't do, had a player been hurt during said game that, that counts as a big win, and it got hurt along the way. How will they handle this through the lens of that same prism with what's going on here with Harbaugh? More Because and, and, you would be looking back at wins with the knowledge that they've had scouts on campus off-site doing things to help them in said victory.
0: I think it's just what it's gonna do is raise this constant debate about how much it actually helps. And it's gonna reach the point of just making everyone sick to hear about it because it's gonna be Michigan, not just Michigan, but mainly Michigan people and then others in football saying, oh, it's not that big of an advantage, and oh, you should have changed your signs, and oh, this and that, and oh, they still had to recruit great players and do all this in order to have those seasons, which a lot of that is, is true. But it doesn't change the fact that, to me, and I think to anyone that's looking at this rationally, they would have to say, you're not doing it unless it creates an advantage. You're not going to continue doing this. You're not going to continue paying for tickets. You're not going to continue handing over information. You're not going to continue having Connor Stallions in the ear of the coordinators on game day on the sidelines unless you feel like it's helping your game day operation. So if that's the case, to what extent it helped? Is it a field goal better? Is it a touchdown? I don't know. I don't know how much it helped, but it doesn't matter. You were unlawfully, illegally gaining an advantage that others weren't gaining. So everything you've done is now under the microscope, and I think every possible penalty is there for Michigan if that's the case, Hutton. We can talk about vacating all the wins and doing this and that, or just putting a huge stain over what has been a very successful period of time for Michigan football under
2: Harbaugh. Chad NFL debuts don't go much better for quarterbacks than what we saw from Will Levis, man. Oh man, for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, who's been on the bench, not just as a backup, but a third string until yesterday, getting his first career start, four touchdown passes, three of which went to DeAndre Hopkins. He was asked about those passes to Hopkins. He said, hey, we've been talking about finally putting DeAndre in the end zone. I said, why not three times? And it was his fourth touchdown that was the best, throwing off his back foot, dropping passes in the bucket, even ones that weren't caught were perfectly thrown. Debut successful for an organization that was headed in the wrong direction, sitting on a two-week time frame, coming off a bye week and a loss in London to Baltimore. They didn't know which direction they're going. They had traded away Kevin Byard. The uh, Oilers' throwback unis were on. Beautiful. You had A.J. Brown going off yet again. He's the best receiver in the NFL. They traded him away a year ago. And... The guy they traded away last week is in the same uniform yesterday in Philadelphia. With all that being said, the focus, at least for a week, four days, is on the rookie quarterback and Will Levis and what he did on the field. Fantastic performance. This is where life comes at you fast, though. Because for what they did against Atlanta, they now are on the road in Pittsburgh Thursday night against a reeling Steelers team and a very good defense compared to what we saw From Atlanta yesterday. I'm I'm fascinated to see what happens, but for an offense that had two touchdown passes going into this game, we saw four from the rookie and what was a nearly flawless performance, even in situational moments where he's taking sacks on purpose instead of throwing an incomplete pass or throwing it up like Deshaun Watson would do. Levis is taking sacks and running clock. Fantastic job. And Three touchdown passes for 33 yards or more. First rookie to do it in his debut.
0: Shout out to our fantasy expert, Michael Fabiano, who put uh, DeAndre Hopkins on his sit list last week. And I took his advice and I put him on the bench. And uh, it didn't matter because I still won my fantasy game. But, man, uh, no one saw that coming. The The average over eight yards
2: per completion. Well, no
0: one saw Will Levis coming in and suddenly having better rapport with Hopkins than anything that Ryan Tannehill ever possessed with him in one game. It is one game, but man, oh, man, what a game it was for Will Levis. He was terrific, and that offense was terrific. Suddenly, the Titans slash Oilers had guys streaking wide open down the field, and Will Levis is just thrown it up in the air for them. Incredible to watch, and those uniforms should stay full-time. Go to those uniforms at all times. That color's available, Wear them at all times, please, Titans slash Oilers.
2: Bobby Carpenter joins us next. He weighs
1: in on the news with Harbaugh, Michigan, and signs dealing. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well.
2: NFL trade deadline coming up tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Leonard Williams traded to the Seahawks. Get into details on that coming up. Plus, uh, Dr. David Chow, Pro Football Talk, joins us uh, in 20 minutes. Right now, we say hello to Bobby Carpenter, Sirius XM Channel 84. Uh, guys, all over the place. He is. College football uh, analyst and more. Bobby, good to see you, man. Hope things are well.
3: I'm with Ruth. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's uh, nice to see you in the same place, same time, ready to rock. That's I got to right.
0: give a shout out to um, uh, your Sirius XM channel because I'm out running errands a lot of times on Saturday, especially for the early games at times, and that college football blitz that airs all day is money for anyone running errands where it's a red zone of audio. So you get to hear all the different play-by-play voices of the different schools, and they go one game after the other and keep letting you hear bits and pieces of games. Terrific. So giving you a shout-out there, Bobby. I know you're not on that show, but you're on another show on that network.
3: That was actually the first. That's So that's actually run by Lear. IMG Learfield or yep. whoever. They have all like the college sports properties. And in like 2013, 2014, that was like one of the first things I did. They used to have analysts that would bounce back and forth and then talk about them, and then you dip into the audio. And that was like one of my first national gigs was doing that for like five hours. They had two five- or six-hour shifts, But it was a marathon of a day.
0: They have someone who does it from 11 a.m., it's central time, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., and then someone else on from 5 to 11 in six-hour nice. shifts. So they hand it off to the evening person who's then conducting everything throughout the night. It's, it's great.
2: Bobby, um, so Jim Harbaugh today fielding questions about the NCAA investigation into sign stealing. He's fielding questions about the contract and whether or not Michigan's pulled that offer from what was across the table back to their side. And uh, among other things, and and also the report from NFL network reporters, NFL media's Ian Rappaport and Tom that that the NFL wouldn't be a safe harbor for him necessarily if there is a suspension in place in college football. What do you make of this latest news, which there's always something new recently with this? And how big of a story do you think this becomes between now and the college football playoff?
3: Well, I think it's only going to probably grow with more information that begins to get leaked out. And you know, that's I think the main issue here is you know, there's a lot of stuff that's we've heard about. I don't know if we fully, you know, understand like the depth or breadth of it yet, of what is all true. Is there any speculation? Is there rumor? And I'm and I don't know if we'll ultimately find that out this year. That's what we're trying to determine is the timeline and the speed. The NCAA moves at a glacial pace. I don't think anything will happen with them, but. Within the conference, I know there's a lot of heat being put on from the coaches and the administration who some of the other teams don't want to play Michigan the rest of the year. I mean, I've heard that, uh, you know, been kind of leaked and and through the rumor mill just due to the fact that we're not talking about, you know, allegedly paying players to come in and different things like that. I mean, this the more you hear about it and how elaborate it was, and there's even some things that I've... Seen, I'm not fully convinced that all of it's real, and I want to make sure that I'm fairly safe in saying some of this stuff. But
2: sure,
3: you know, th- there's a lot of evidence out there that looks overwhelmingly in the face of Michigan. And Jim Harbaugh can say that he didn't know about it. And maybe he just said, Hey, I don't want to hear where this stuff comes from, and I don't want to have any idea, but there, there are invoices. When you have travel expenses and reimbursement, guys, I mean, you understand the corporate world. And this is a, a this is a, an institute of higher learning. This is big business. This is Michigan. This isn't some like high school thing where you give someone 50 bucks out of petty cash. I mean, there are thousands of dollars that are transferred here and that are being reimbursed. And there's people's names and signatures that go on these expense reports. And once I think some of that starts to come to light, like it's gonna be really hard to say, this was just one guy who was out doing this and this information was just falling out of the air into some of the different coaches' laps.
2: Uh, both polls right now, the AP and the coaches' poll, have ignored what's going on. They're number two in the country after a bye week. Where, where do you have Michigan in the college football playoff rankings that will be announced for the first time tomorrow? Uh,
3: it's tough. Um, I think a lot of people look at you know Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, some combination of those three in the top three. Uh, Michigan, has, if you look at a lot of their metrics, game control and everything else, I mean, they've dominated. Now, problem is they have the weakest schedule. Georgia's schedule's more significant, and then they had a really nice win. The thing with Georgia you have a hard time figuring out is, okay, I watched you beat Kentucky like a drum. I watched you handle Florida, but then I watch other games where it's like you seem kind of disinterested. You're trailing against Vanderbilt. Like There's just a lot of question marks that are thrown out there, and you're just trying to figure out, like, it, could one of those things ultimately get you beat? How good are they? It they looks really good without Brock Bowers. That was a big question of mine is would they be able to, you know, handle it without their safety blanket? The guy who's been one of the best skill position players over the last three years without him, how good would Carson Beck look? And he looked pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, argue, you could argue that Washington has the best win since they're probably going to beat the number one, the top one loss team in Oregon, which I mean, I think for my money, I, I think Oregon's still the best team in the pac 12 from what I've seen in Washington the last two weeks has looked rough on offense and then rough on defense. Ohio State probably has the two best wins in conjuncture. They've looked pretty good in, in you know, the last handful of weeks, and things have been trending in the right direction. Um, I mean, I think this is probably as wide open as it's ever been. I would think it just depends on what they think and value. Like, I feel like they they build it out, and then they find a narrative. For each different team, I would think that Georgia, with that win over Florida, has a good chance of being number one. I think Ohio State, with their strength of schedule, be number two, followed by Michigan and most likely Washington, unless they penalize them for the last couple of weeks.
0: You mentioned Oregon and Washington, Bobby, and what a tale of two different directions teams have gone since that narrow win for Washington. The Huskies continue to find ways to hang on, but it has not looked good. Since that win against Oregon, Oregon, meanwhile, takes that adversity from that loss and they shell Utah on the road this weekend. That was impressive. I'm more impressed by the Oregon defense in that game coming away from that. What do you think about those two teams right now at the top of the Pac 12?
3: Well, the thing with Oregon, and this is why I was, because I was a big fan of Washington earlier in the year they running back. They lost him for the season. I was curious how good that defense was. and They hadn't really played anybody. And they got enough stops against Oregon. And believe me, they stopped them three times on fourth down, which if one of those goes the other way, they probably don't win. They hold them up enough at the end of the game to force a field goal, you know, 45-some-odd yards, which Oregon misses. And, you know, they were at home. So you give them a little bit of credit for that um, as well. But Oregon, I think they can run it. They can throw it if they need to. And they can play defense. And they have things that travel on the road that's why they went into a very difficult place to play in salt lake against a really well coached team now i understand that you know the the quarterback situation has been a little in flux and they're moving forward obviously you know and and there's some issues there but you know utah is well coached and they can run the football and they play really good defense and oregon went in there they ran it on them they threw it on them they played really sound defense all on the road and so i I think what dan landing has built there is something that you know what They maybe lost to Washington, but I guarantee you Washington does not want to have a rematch in the Pac-12 championship. So
0: I want to stay in the Pac-12 for one. Cal electing to go for two uh, and to take the lead in that moment. I hate this call so much for this reason. There's still a minute left in the game, and there's Caleb Williams. I think kicking the extra point makes it more likely that you're at least going to overtime if there's an incompletion or a play where you're tackled in play because you're putting everything on USC to go down and score, which they're probably going to do, at least get a field goal attempt late in that game. Um, I I don't like it one bit. Cal ends up losing because they don't get the two-point conversion. What did you make of that decision from Justin Wilcox?
3: So... Generally, when I look at this and I try to figure out you know, going for two, I've, I've always been a proponent of it, and here's why. Especially when you're a game like that, you're not expected to be there if you're Cal. USC, what is the worst part of their team? Well, it's overwhelmingly their defense. So I'm going to force them to try to stop us. Now, like you said, there was enough time left where Cal or USC could probably drive down and score. But when it comes to end-of-game overtime situations, if you have the ball last and you're in a high-scoring game and the other team's defense isn't very good, I'm not going to let you beat me with your Heisman Trophy winner. I'm going to try to force you to beat me with your defense. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out for them the way that they would have liked, and USC comes away with the win. And like you said, there's enough time left that maybe they still get the field goal. But generally in that situation, if it's a high-scoring, high-offensive game, I'm going to not let your offense back on the field.
0: Yeah, I get it if there's four seconds left. Right, If it's like a last-second thing, it's like, you know what? We don't want to go into overtime. We're going to end this thing right here. But with a minute left, all you're doing is putting the onus back on Caleb Williams and USC's offense to suddenly have to score and not even think about taking a knee or not
2: forcing the issue to go into overtime. Hutton, I hated it for that reason. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Carpenter with us. Bobby, what, what's going to happen in the Big 12, having watched Oklahoma lose to Kansas?
3: I don't know. There's a chance, and this is I was having this conversation earlier today with a friend of mine just trying to figure out, you know, could the Big 12 ultimately get left out? Could the could the Pac-12 get left out, depending on how these things break and if there's any cannibalization. You know, Kansas, they did a great job. I mean, they're, and they're doing it with their backup quarterback. You know, Jaden Daniels didn't play, so they – I mean, B went in there. He played well. You know, they had the lead. They gave it back. You know, there's this weather delay. There's all these different components in Kansas – I give them a lot of credit. They went and won it. And if you look at the Big uh, the Big 12 standings, there's either four or five, I think maybe five teams that have only one loss. And Kansas has two sitting right there at three and two. But they, it is a log jam at the top because you got to remember the, the non-conference factor piece doesn't come into play when you start talking about all these tiebreakers. So I'm just curious to see who the heck the two teams are ultimately going to be representing the Big 12 in that title game.
2: What do you make of Ole Miss? Are they factoring into any decision making process for you yet? Because a week from this coming Saturday, they're playing Georgia.
3: I, I like what they can do. Um, you know, Lane, they want to line up, they're gonna they're spread you out, they'll run you, they wanna be a tough team. I no one's really talked about them yet because Honestly, this is the first year I think the SEC really hasn't got a ton of attention because outside of Georgia, I don't know if people have really looked at anyone as a true national title contender. Yeah. Um, I think Bama probably is, and I think Ole Miss could potentially be. This would be a huge week for them to ultimately get a win. You would think that they're get, potentially getting Georgia at the right time, but Georgia looks really good. I mean, it seemed like they would be falling off without Brock Bowers. I'd rather play him without him than with him. For but sure. You know, Old Miss, they have the weapons. Like they can go score on you. You know, can they play enough defense? I think the answer is yes. You know, the thing is, everyone looks at Lane like this offensive guru that wants to throw the ball. Like they've been running the ball pretty darn effectively this year. And if they could run it against Georgia, which that defense has proven to be a little susceptible, if you, you know, dig up a little bit of Auburn's game plan, there's some lanes there that you can get to through Scheme. I know they've cleaned it up, but this isn't a team that's as near as experienced as they've been in the past. If Ole Miss can win that, then I think they're squarely in this conversation for being able to win the SEC, which you would have to imagine would get them a berth in the CFP.
0: Bobby, in the coaches' stepping in at department, which of these did you like least? Pat Narduzzi, after the blowout loss to Notre Dame, saying, hey, we had a good team. I thought we were going to replace these guys with some good players, and apparently we failed to do that. When I watch this team now, uh, which a lot of his players started reposting with comments when they saw that quote. Deion Sanders flat out saying, well, big picture, we got to go get new offensive linemen. I'm going to paint that picture beautifully about what's next for Colorado. Or Mike Loxley of Maryland after getting upset by Northwestern saying, hey, we got too many receivers out there dropping the ball and falling down. Uh, The play calls are just fine. It's the players that aren't executing. Which one did you like the least of those three?
3: Oh, you know, Mike Locksley's comments are probably the least aggressive of all of them, especially if there's, you know, you watch a guy drop a ball, like there's evidence there to support that offensive line play. You can see that it's a little bit more ambiguous. Pat Narduzzi's was, I mean, pretty direct uh, with what he threw out there. I mean, he's a Youngstown guy. I I like Pat on a personal level. I, if I was one of his players, I'd be really really ticked off at that saying, you know, we thought we had a good team. We had to replace these, replacing the guys that have left. I think that was probably the one that was the most aggressive. Um, I think the thing that's surprising me is Dion who's a grinder thinking like you can have success without having a good offensive or defensive line. I mean that that's been their issue all season. He probably knew it coming in and maybe it takes longer to address, but I think that, that there's a little bit of, detachment of understanding, like, hey, you can have all the receivers in the world, man, but if you can't run the football and protect your quarterback, as good as Shador has been this year, like, you you could have some serious issues. But I'd say it's probably Pat.
2: Clemson's seventh loss in their last 12 games, Bobby. Uh, final 30 seconds here. What do you make of the Tigers and where they're headed?
3: Well, if you look at who they have left, they have North Carolina, they have South Carolina on their schedule. Um, they played Notre Dame this weekend. Like, if you're telling me that they – Can win two of those three, I I think I might be impressed based upon what I've seen. And I think at the beginning of the year, they were better. They've just kind of spiraled and they've lost that era of invincibility. I'm not, you know, I don't want to say it's over for Dabo there because I don't think that that's the case. I never want to overreact to one season. But if you look over the last year and a half, two years, two and a half years, like there's been a little bit of an erosion of that culture where we had them equal with Bama for a five, six year period. No doubt, man. I mean, that's where they were.
2: And now it's its in question and it's crazy. Bobby, we're, we're up against it. Thank you, man. We always enjoy the perspective coming off the weekend. Thank you. Dr. David Chow is next. Pro Football Doc joins us next right here on Hot Mile with Eddie Withrow across the Outkick Network. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? What a week eight across the NFL. Some season-saving performances, quite frankly. Saw one here in Nashville. The Titans beat the Atlanta Falcons with Will Levis, at quarterback. It was phenomenal. And then what the Bengals did on the road against San Francisco. Third straight loss for the 49ers, but Joe Burrow with a great performance for him this year. Then some big injuries. Hotline with Honey Withrow rolls on across the Outkick network. We say hello to the injury expert. Pro Football Doc, Dr. David Chow with us. Always great to have you on, Doc. Hope things are well, man.
4: Thank you, but I hate to be the bearer of bad news all the time. You know?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, but we go to you sometimes for it's good clever- news. Yeah, sometimes it's good news. Sometimes you can <laughs> encourage us
0: with, with your analysis. It's I mean, not uh, all
2: bad. The last time you joined us, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, the good news was you thought Aaron Rodgers could return and be well ahead of schedule. And then weeks later, all of a sudden, that's a headline because Rodgers is ahead of schedule. So it's and, not and, always and, bad and- news.
4: And, and you guys thought it probably, and most of the listeners thought I was crazy, right? Why
2: are you saying that
4: that's possible? I think it is possible. And uh, But, of course, the Jets still have to get to the playoffs, and Zach Wilson has to be the guy to take them there, et cetera. But, yeah, and, you know, it's getting closer, but not there yet.
2: So, some notable names going down this weekend. Busy day for you yesterday. Uh, let's start with Kirk Cousins. Uh, Achilles injury, speaking of those, and uh, tying it in with Rodgers, the timing's everything, and uh, uh, just awful news for him for the Vikings, but also where he is contractually. Tell us about what you saw and uh, the significance of this.
4: Well, it was in some ways similar to Aaron Rodgers. It was pretty apparent. It was Achilles. I was texting with some uh, national media members. I won't say who was texting me and say, how sure are you? I said, 99.9. I mean, that's what the video looked like. The big difference between Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins is time of the season. So no, Aaron Rodgers has a outside chance to come back you know kirk cousins does not and also kirk gets his back foot so it's some more of the push-off side makes it a little harder but he still sets up fine i believe for next season wherever he needs to go and in the the end he's not a cornerback he's not a running back he's still a quarterback so he still can be ready for 2024 just not this season in any way shape or form Uh,
2: the the Trade deadline tomorrow. We're going to be tying in a lot of this later in the show. As far as rehab is concerned, everything's different. But from what you've seen of Kyler Murray and knowing it's been, what, 10 months since the injury in Arizona, uh, given the time frame and the fact that he's practicing, tells you what about his availability?
4: That he's making progress. That certainly he could play the game of football. But I would have serious doubts that he could be the Kyler Murray that we're used to seeing uh, run pass out of the pocket, very dynamic situation. I'm quite certain that from the pocket, he can be quite functional, but is anyone really trading him for a court to be a quarterback in the pocket, right? You want him both ways and it still will take some time for him to get to back to being himself yet. And it seems like the Cardinals are trying to play him against Atlanta uh, at home, not in in uh, in week ten, I guess
0: it's never good when we're talking about this many quarterbacks across the league uh, with injury concerns. But we'll kind of go you know down the list here of guys and, and give us your analysis on where they stand now, where they could be in the future. We'll go next to LA Rams with Matthew Stafford.
4: Yeah, well, we made a video at Sports Injury Central, Central that this week in week nine there literally could be eleven backup quarterbacks starting across the 32 teams. That's literally what it looks like. Matthew Stafford is another one that we said in game at the end of the first half, that that looked like an ulnar collateral ligament injury of the thumb. Yes, there is a UCL of the thumb, just like there is in the elbow and throwers, but that's also the thumb and the UCL they had surgery on before he arrived at the Rams for a partial tear. He at least jammed it. He may have a partial tear again in the UCL, And uh, he surprised us with his toughness. I guess you shouldn't be surprised at Matthew Stafford by coming back for the first part of the second half. But also he left the game, maybe more for score than anything else, but very hard to spin the ball if you can't grip it. And the only collateral has to do with grip. And I remember writing articles and doing stuff for Outkick when Drew Brees tore his only collateral ligament. And we said, look, he's going to need surgery. And then again, once he was announced to have surgery, people said, he's done for the year. And we said, no, no, six weeks. And he came back in six weeks. So it is a big deal. Matthew Stafford is at best iffy for this next week. Hopefully, he can avoid surgery and avoid IR. But the thumb is a huge deal, as we have seen with Justin Fields
0: little more than a third of the league with those numbers you threw out going with a backup quarterback possibly moving forward, or at least this week. Another one of those teams, the Pittsburgh Steelers. What's the diagnosis with Kenny Pickett? What do you see with him moving forward?
4: Yeah, that's a Thursday game, and, and it's setting up for Will Levis versus Mitch Trubisky this Thursday. Kenny Pickett did not return to the game with rib slash rib cartilage issue If a rib block didn't work on game day, or maybe he didn't take one, it's unlikely that he'll take one or have it work for a Thursday. So it seems to be Mitch Trubisky, although the Steelers aren't saying. On the other hand, uh, the Titans are going to roll with Will Levis, even though Ryan Tannehill played two series in London after he hurt the high ankle. It's been 2 weeks since then and this will be almost 3 weeks now but they're still going with Will Levis and of course that decision is easier easier to make when uh, your young guy throws for four touchdowns. Uh
2: and with Levis um he's I mean you're right the four touchdown performance Tannehill's got the ankle issue. Um I I've tried to describe last last year he's pushing through Tannehill I'm saying the ankle and he, he's a team first guy. There's also the the free agency is right a, right around the corner for him he knows that levis is the future quarterback uh, and your experience and your time in the nfl uh, behind the scenes i mean that the business aspect of injuries also play a factor don't they
4: no question and even the decisions on who to play play a factor we did the the pro football doc sports injury central podcast this morning and we have a segment called hiding behind health Right. It's, a you know, Tannehill is injured and is not 100 percent, but it's much easier to say Will Levis is the quarterback coming off of four things. Ryan Tannehill, take your time, you know, uh, when uh, there was a good performance there and, you know, Tannehill's not 100 percent. So you simply just indicate the ankle's not ready. We're going with the young guy as opposed to uh, talking about it being an injury or a demotion of some sort.
0: You said hide behind your health. Uh, classic example of that seems to be in Atlanta uh, with Desmond Ritter and Arthur Smith after the game saying it wasn't performance related. He just didn't seem light right. He was evaluated for a concussion. But yet they go with a backup Taylor Heineke and suddenly the Falcons offense looks better. Is this an example of, of what you're talking about?
4: Yeah, I think it is an example of what we're talking about, hiding behind health. And I'm not using the term in a nefarious way that they're hiding injuries. It's just it's easier to say, no, we're not benching Desmond Ritter. He didn't have a concussion, but he didn't feel right. And so we're just giving him a break and going with uh, with Haneke, the backup, and we'll see what happens. And maybe we'll give it another week because just to make sure that he's right. It's just easier to talk that way. Another example about it has to be a New York Giants. Look, we heard about Daniel Jones left arm weakness not going to be ready from all the major reporters that it would be week 10 before he came back at least and now tyrod taylor goes down was hospitalized with some rib maybe internal organ damage and here comes tommy devito and now we hear daniel jones is cleared for contact and as a matter of fact he was cleared for contact ahead of the game on sunday but couldn't play because he was declared out there was some hiding behind health in terms of the messaging that gets put out to the public. I'm not saying that there's anything where the coaches are doing illegal suppressing injuries or enhancing injuries. It's just using it for explanation is what it is. So Daniel Jones now pressed into service because they don't want to roll with, uh, with Tommy DeVito. And uh, here we go with uh, Tyrod Taylor out. It's back to Daniel Jones.
2: You mentioned messaging. It's a great segue uh, to Deshaun Watson here uh, with the rotator cuff issue. It doesn't sound like he's going to go to IR. Uh, Maybe he's back in a couple of weeks. It's the P.J. Walker show until then, and it was not much of a show yesterday against uh, Seattle. Help us, will you discuss for us what what he may be going through on a good or bad day with the rotator cuff on the throwing shoulder? Is it residual swelling? What is he dealing with that leads some to believe he's back one week and then he's out the next, and the coach doesn't want to see him take another hit?
4: The the messaging has been interesting on that one, and I'm not blaming the guaranteed contract as the reason he doesn't want to play. Rotator cuffs are tricky. A subscap strain does have to do with throwing. And it seems like Deshaun Watson honestly thought he would play week four. He did finish week three, but it was a surprise inactive, and the rookie started. Then everyone thought he'd come back after the bye, and he wasn't really ready to go. And then he gets win one practice and they start him, but they quick hook him the, the last week in week seven. One for five, one interception does take a hit, but he gets the quick hook. And he was on the sideline healthy, right? The head coach of the Cleveland Browns even said if PJ Walker got hurt, Deshaun Watson was going back in. That's why he had the helmet on. So the messaging has been different. It's my belief, having been in the NFL locker rooms and been with a team there hasn't been certainty with their quarterback going into week 4. There hasn't been certainty coming out of the bye. There wasn't certainty in week 7 when he had the quick hook because of injury. I think they're waiting for certainty at this point in time. I don't think Deshaun Watson returns to play without three full practices, not just one day of practice and think we're okay. I think they're waiting for three full practices before they get him back. I think they want him back in the in the biggest baddest way. They've got a great defense. But I think they need some assurity that he'll be okay and be able to finish the game before they hand over the starting job back to him.
2: Doctor David Chow with us, pro football doc, um, not football related, but Adam Johnson, former NHL player who's now uh, playing or was in the EIHL. He, he died, uh, was killed when a, a skate cut his throat. Um, I it's being investigated by police now in Nottingham. I'm. As far as like the protection of this goes, what do you make of that injury and the the likelihood we could see it again?
4: Well, that's like every hockey person's worst nightmare, yes. right? And, you know the there's the skates are so sharp, right? They want them sharp so they could cut on the ice, et cetera. They're so sharp. It's almost a knife, right? And when a leg kicks up and your neck is exposed and it's a very unlucky shot, that is the nightmare scenario of the carotid artery and the carotid artery is you know it's under high pressure because it's an artery and it literally uh squirts i mean and uh, you need to react quickly i mean quite honestly Uh, you can say, okay, the doctor, but the doctor usually isn't there on the bench. And even if they are for hockey, they're in dress shoes and slipping across the ice. I mean, that athletic trainer really has to act quickly and try and put pressure in to stop the bleeding. It's a very quick, uh, nightmarish scenario. Look, going backwards, you know, you see hockey players, hockey goalies having the neck protection for the puck in the throat. This one's almost worse because it's literally a knife blade coming across your neck there. And there obviously has been some talk of, wearing, you know, uh, turtleneck-type sleeve-type protection, et cetera, And and I don't know if that's the worst idea in the world, right? Just for the – because it's potentially life-and-death situation. Fortunately, it doesn't happen very often, but, boy, you don't ever want it to happen once.
2: Yeah, and they're, they're – I mean, they're investigating to see if it was an intentional – uh, oh, a, a, I, I didn't see the video. Yeah, right. Stuff. No, me I mean, but I, I'm, I'm saying like, it, as far as yes. it, the intent goes, that's up to police, but I'm thinking, man, as far as the protection goes, i you see guys laying on the ice all the time, you know, oh, due to the contact. Deal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know
4: it's it's not the laying on the ice that typically is the danger there it's a play and the 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 other player gets upended, and his feet go up in the air okay right when you're laying in the ice no one's really skating across you kind of right it's literally a kick up in the air when someone is upended, and it's a very unlucky circumstance it's not the on the ice stuff that's typically the way that that happens
2: great perspective as always doc We, we appreciate this and uh we will catch up soon for sure the injuries uh well, always game day for you in, in regards to your analysis. Thank you. There is uh, Dr. David Chow, pro football doc, uh, sports in- injury central as well. That's where you can check that right hockey out.
0: deal is crazy scary. And uh, I-, I was thinking like you, Hutton, so many times guys are lay down on the ice trying to block a puck. And how yeah. many times, you know, guys are around them. You don't see it though. In that, that instance, there was an incident with the Buffalo Sabres goalie at one point where I know his skate came up, and there was a very scary moment. He lived, but uh, barely from that years and years ago. Terrible situation. Um, You don't want to see it happen once, like Dr. Chow said. But Luckily, we don't see
2: it happen more often. More headlines straight ahead, including trade deadline tomorrow, buyers, sellers across the NFL, and more.